0: and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk.
1: Welcome back, folks. Welcome to the Soul Talk podcast. I'm very excited about today's episode. Each episode, as I keep saying, I'm excited about because my, my vision is to bring on uh, inspirational, authentic voices from all walks of life and uh, all disciplines or cultures uh, to share their gifts with the gifts of insight and, and just the lessons they've learned from from living life. And uh I'm about to bring on is someone I deeply respect. I had the opportunity to see him speak in Los Angeles uh, many years ago, actually. Uh, I think I drove up to the Palisades or somewhere up there and hadn't heard of him. But Someone said go and so moved by his uh, storytelling. He's a renowned storyteller, author, scholar of mythology, anthropology, psychology, and His storytelling and depth and authenticity, yet realness, uh, to just weave a lot of just life insight together was was quite unusual and um, just blew my heart open. And so he's the author of The Genius Myth, Fate and Destiny, uh, Why the World Doesn't End. This book I read of his, The Water of Life, Um, just an amazing human being. I'm very privileged to have him on the Soul Talk podcast. Welcome. Michael Mead, thank you for coming on to Soul Talk. Well, thank you. Good to be with you, Cute. Awesome, awesome. So, you know, I'm always uh, – I have so many questions for you, but I'm always very curious myself, and I think maybe the audience will be curious in terms of just a little sense of, you know, what your path has been to doing what you're doing. I mean, how, how did you – did you always have a sense this is what you'd be doing? Was it a surprise? Well, I'm killed Like, well,
0: how does – how does some?
1: How does life prepare you to do this work of of teaching and, and and speaking and writing and storytelling and poetry and and I'd love to know just a bit about your background and just how this came. How did this come about? How did this happen? How did you get into this line of work? Was there a moment? Was there an event? Was it just childhood? Parents? I mean, tell me tell me a bit of your your story.
2: Well. I... Years ago, someone asked me, how did I start telling stories? I'd never really thought about it. But in answering the question, I remembered what happened to me when I was 13 years old, growing up in a rough neighborhood in New York. And I wound up uh, cornered in the bathroom of a movie theater by seven members of an older age gang who were really after a friend of mine, but they couldn't find him, so they grabbed me. And they had their knives out and fully intended to carve me up. And they were known for doing that. And now that I look back on it in psychological terms, I think my ego simply departed, not wanting to stay around for the pain. And then what happened is something inside me started to tell a story. And it it just came pouring out, no hesitation, just, you know, like paragraph after paragraph coming out. And they were so compelled by the story, you could see the glare in their eyes shift and their hands went down and, and they never did hurt me. And they just warned me mm. to, to tell my friend to never do that again. And and I go walking out of the theater, 13 years old, realizing there's something more powerful than weapons. Um, and mm. then of course, what happened, there was no one in the environment or you know, in my community, so to speak, who could listen to that and confirm what was happening to me. So from a certain point Mm -hmm. of view, it was an an initiation into the rest of my life. Storytelling Mm -hmm. saved my life literally, and it always saves my life. Nowadays, when the world Mm -hmm. is so troubled and everyone is feeling collective anxiety and fear, um, I go back to story. On a daily basis, I go back to story Mm -hmm. because it connects me to the root of life and the roots of imagination. So that's really how it began. How, what, what
1: I'm I, curious, what, what, what was, do you remember the story you told at that time? As, well, this is kids? interesting.
2: This is interesting. Uh, six months earlier on my 13th birthday, um, mm-hmm. I had gotten a book. My um, I was not used to getting gifts and certainly not getting gifts that I wanted. But my aunt had asked me, uh, what are you interested in? And I said, History. history, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the heck happened here. Uh, because in my neighborhood, everyone had lost their dreams and there was a lot of brutality and so on. And so she went to a store. She's a very short person. And apparently she asked for a history book and they pointed to a shelf and she had to go over and reach up and she grabbed the book. They wrapped it. She gave it to me. Um, I, tore the paper off and she said oh it's the wrong book give it back to me and and I'm holding it and saying no I want it because on the cover of the book is the flying horse Pegasus and on it is sitting a rider who's just released an arrow from a bow and I want this book mm. and we're in a little mm. bit of a tug of war and then I tear the rest mm. of the paper off and it says mythology by Edith Hamilton and so I had found the language of story. I read almost that entire Mm -hmm. book that night. And and I found my language. I found the place where I immediately belonged. I didn't have to be older. I didn't have to be bigger. I didn't have to have more money. I didn't have to have anything but my own spirit. And so I had Mm -hmm. a kind of confirmation from that book. Mm -hmm. But the story that came out was not a story from mythology exactly. What came out was a kind of made-up story about how when people get beaten and mistreated and violated, out comes violence as a result. And I can't remember the words, but it was in the common language of the neighborhood. But it was really telling the story of all those guys surrounding me and my friend. And I think I included him by saying every day he gets beaten by his brother and every night he gets beaten by his father. And that's the only way wow. he, would, he would be so crazy as to threaten you guys. And so I was really telling them mm. their story, our story. Wow. We were all being beaten. We were all being violated. So you, you were literally
1: telling us, you, t- you told an actual story in that moment.
2: Yes, and, and yet it wasn't me. I didn't even know where it was it coming you. from. And it, and it didn't require preparation or, or, or rehearsal. It just came pouring out. And then that has become the thing I've had to learn is to trust that what needs to come out will come out. So when I tell stories, I know stories. I study stories of all different cultures, but I don't rehearse. And so then when I'm telling the story, the words come, that come out are different every time because they're the words of the moment and they're also the way I'm connected to the audience cuz the audience is always mm. part of the storytelling in other words a story comes mm. to life between the teller and the listener and that's what happened that day mm. and it was a you know a serious prefiguring of my life but it took took me 20 years to actually wow. find a way to a way to live with it
1: wow i have i have i have so many questions before I jump ahead to some other questions, you know one question is okay, so so, so there's the story that's coming through you. Obviously, you know, you could say your dharma, something's calling you, you're being initiated. I think lots of people maybe listening have a sense of something that they feel passionate about, maybe as an artist or poetry or writing, but they find a difficulty to, to merge this this soul authentic impulse with the practicality of life and you know making it into a profession like oh I want to be a coach or I want to be a healer I want to be a writer but I have to work it as a lawyer or work in Starbucks just to pay the bills and there's this disconnect and so you seem to have merged the two where this this innate you know and and, and impulse to tell stories and write and create and is 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 what you live and is is your life's work and and you, on one level it's how you I'm assuming you know survive make money et etc et etc and so I'm wondering how, how did happen how, how did it go from being this thing to now it's your life's work and it's what you do and and I guess for those listening Can you give them some advice as to how they can maybe take a a gift or a passion and they might be wondering, how do I even survive? How do I even make money with this? How does this even, you know, let me just, let me be practical. Let me put this, 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 this gift aside because it's not going to be, I'll never survive. And I think so many people forget about this deeper impulse or they're too afraid to follow it. So I hope that makes sense. I'm curious how that aligns for you and and, and giving some perspective to the audience.
2: It makes great sense. Uh, Everyone is gifted. That has to be the underlying story of humanity. Everyone is gifted and Mm. in a purposeful way. If it isn't true that everyone is, then then there's two categories of people, the gifted and the rejected, and, and that cannot be the case. So at least I don't think so. So everyone is gifted, but most people do not get their gifts recognized and blessed. So that's the first problem. That's what happened to me. Mm. At 13, I had it. I was telling everyone I could talk to, I, I know something stronger than weapons. And no one, no teachers, no family members, no you know, friends on the street, no one could confirm that in me. It took years to find someone uh, who would confirm it, actually more than one person. So that's a, a key issue. Mm. It has to become conscious and be confirmed. And so that tells us that the gift is not just ours the fact that it has to be uh-huh. confirmed by someone outside ourselves is a hint that the gift is to be given to community and so mm-hmm. so that's lacking now because of the lack of rites of passage and the rack, lack mm-hmm. of engagement of older people with young people fewer people get their gifts confirmed <laughs> and mm-hmm. and then in growing up I was when I tried to be creative I was told you know listen you know, you can be creative and you'll probably starve uh, or you get yourself a meaningful job. And uh, so I was given that idea or that dichotomy and and I don't think it's true at all. In other words, um, what I did because I I eventually had a family, I raised four children and so on. And I knew I had to stay in touch with this, Mm. let's call it storytelling. Um, But it was also a study of mythology and so um, I would get up early in the morning in order to have at least a couple of hours for what became my practice, which was studying and writing about what I, I was intrigued with. And as my kids got older, they got up earlier and earlier. You know how it is in the United States. People go to school very early. Mm-hmm. And so eventually I'm getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And uh, wow. but, <laughs> but what's happening at 3 o'clock in the morning, most everyone else is asleep.
0: And yes, the, yeah. the
2: other world, the, the ground of imagination is wide open. And so mm. it's very inspiring. And it, and it caused me to have, you know, a real practice. And, mm. um, and so I did not know or imagine that that practice would become a livelihood. That's not how I saw it. Mm. This, is, this gotcha. is just what, it's what compelled me. And then eventually what happened, and I think this is what does happen, if we're on a path, eventually we come to an intersection where something that we hadn't imagined, that we couldn't control, that we couldn't predict, something like that occurs. And through some odd circumstances, I wound up being invited to tell stories that – a conference and that one occasion changed my life Mm. by then by then I was probably 35. Wow. Wow. But I, but I had my, now that I look back and using the language that you're using so well, I became aware of my gift that I had been given this connection to myth and story. And I just stayed in touch with that as a way of keeping my soul alive And then, mm. almost accidentally, I wound mm. up doing. It. I wound up telling stories, and someone heard it. and I got invited here, and then the next thing, it was not just my my vocation; it was my work. Love that. It's funny. I love that. For some reason, I
1: love hearing you say "accidentally." You know, it's not a word that we typically necessarily like enjoy, but. It seemed like accidentally something about it just felt so, I don't know, inviting, you know. It's like the unexpected just unfolded, and so I think that's beautiful. For those listening, uh, Michael, that might be wondering, well, I have no idea what the hell my gift is. I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. I'm good at this. I, I don't know. You know, Michael, I I don't have anything special. I'm not special. I don't have anything. Uh, I don't have any particular gifts. I'm a nice person, but you know, I I don't know what my gift is. Is there anything that they that person could do, who's listening, to to begin exploring or excavating or kind of becoming conscious of their gifts? Well,
2: the first thing I guess is an idea, just so that the mind can become convinced. And so the old Mm. idea is that um, a person's gifts, I call it their genius because that's an old Mm. uh, Western Roman word, Latin word that means the spirit that's already there. It doesn't mean high IQ or great talent. It means the spirit that's already there. So this this gift is what came into the world with the person or this genius quality. Mm. And so in theory it manifests Uh, between like uh, eight and 11 years old. There's there's a somehow this Mm. gift breaks out. And so, Mm. first of all, a person can go back and try to recall what was unusual that happened to them between eight and 11.
0: And then what
2: happens usually in many families, if a person says, I don't know my gift, uh, it usually is partly because their family couldn't see it or wouldn't see it. And this Uh gift which is part of the genius is a radical thing. And so it comes Mm. out. It's not, it doesn't come from the parents. It doesn't come from the family. It comes from the mythic realm. It comes from the spiritual realm. And so sometimes Mm. it comes out in an odd way. And rather than having Hmm. it confirmed, it's strongly rejected. And therefore it goes late. They call it latency. It goes late and it's in there, Mm. but it's quiet. And then what happens mm-hmm. is a little bit later, in what we call teenage years, there's supposed to be an initiation or a rite of passage, part of which would be mm-hmm. the, the uncovering and revealing of the person's natural gifts and kind of life purpose. We don't have that mm-hmm. initiation as a cultural practice, but it is so essential to the human soul that it happens anyway. And so so essential to, to the did you say so essential to, to the, the human spirit?: Well, the human soul and spirit, soul.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh. In
2: other words, you know, one of the problems living in America, let's say, or, or Western culture in general, is the idea that we're a consumer society, um, which mm-hmm. is now increasingly proven by the way we consume the Earth itself. And so, but the old idea was that we were gift-giving society, that each person came to give their gift. And so, Mm -hmm. in a healthy uh, community or traditional culture, young people would be Mm -hmm. engaged in such a way as to reveal the gift. So, we're missing that. So, sometimes a person Mm -hmm. has to find their gift by looking at when they were in trouble. Because... Mm -hmm. When, Like in the story of me being attacked by the gang, when we're in the deepest trouble is when the gifts rise right to the surface. So When person, they were in trouble. Wow. Yeah. Carl Jung, the psychologist, said, genius hides behind the wound. So I've done a lot of work with at-risk youth, with homeless youth, with gang-involved youth, because of my youth. That's why I did it. I continue okay. to it, and the thing that I eventually wound up doing with young people, I try. How can I help this young person? I might only meet them once, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. in working in the barrios, working in the hood, and so on, sometimes they're gone the next time I come back. They're either off to jail or they've been killed, and so I had to find one thing I could say to them so I felt that I was authentically present with them. And and so that they could have some idea of their own value because most of them don't feel that. Mm-hmm. And I realized it was talking to them about genius. I could get into a conversation, whether it's a young girl or a boy, and get them to realize they have a, a, a genius, something in them that's unique. And so mm-hmm. that's a very small way of trying to replace what's missing, which is a proper rite of passage. So right. one of the things... So two things I'm suggesting. A person can look at what happened maybe when they were 8 or 10 or 11 or even a little bit younger. It breaks out early in some children. Uh, and, and then alternatively look at when they got in trouble. When they, All young people get in trouble. That's part of the job of young people is to get into mm. trouble. In a healthy society, mm. the, young, the young people get into the right trouble in an unhealthy society they get into destructive trouble but anyway mm. in that trouble as in my case at 13 the way we get out of the trouble is a hint to what the genius is about
3: mm.
1: so tell me a bit what do you mean what is the right trouble and and <laughs> what is the way like what is the way we get to, to like what would be an example of the way we get out of that trouble Give me I'm trying to conceptualize what you mean, and I think those listening in might be curious too
2: yeah, so, Give so me an example I mean, yeah, I mean the most true things are the things that we've lived through so um so for me uh this is this is even painful to mention or talk about but so then by the time i'm um, eighteen nineteen the Vietnam war is underway. Well, it was never declared Mm. as a war. And, and, and I get drafted. And, and part of me says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this because I know this is not a declared war. And I also know that it's an unjust war. They can't even Uh explain why, why they're doing it. And so Mm. part of me, you know, so I send a letter to the draft board saying, you know, You know, I I can't do this. It's not a declared war. It's not a just war. And uh, so, you know, I'm not coming. But, you know, if you have another war, send me another letter. And so, of course, the next thing is people knocking on the door. And now I'm given a choice. You know, it's complicated, but eventually I'm given a choice. Either go to the Army or go to jail. So somewhat under pressure from my family, which, as my mother said, our son was always go to war. Uh, I went into the army and it absolutely didn't work it didn't work Hmm. and so at a certain point I said you know my mistake you know I can't do this it's a long story but I wind up um, in a military prison because I eventually realized something in my soul says I can't simply kill someone upon orders I can't do that that would be the death of my soul it would be a, a a fate worse than death is how I imagined it. And so now I'm in a military prison, and, uh, which is also doesn't work for me. Anyway, what's happening is I'm going into a deeper and deeper descent. And along the way, when I find out the intend to keep me for a long time, I stop eating. Mm-hmm. And I go on a fast. Wow. And, and eventually I'm dying almost from not eating. I went from 155 pounds to 86, and uh, this went on. Yeah, it was was a horrendous thing. Uh, So, but down at the bottom of that, where, you know, literal dark night of the soul, um, what happens is an even greater revelation of what's inside me, because I'm in solitary confinement by myself for long periods of time, and yet I'm not alone. Because Mm. after a while, what's happening is characters from myths are appearing in the cell and giving me advice and encouragement. You know, Ulysses comes from the Odyssey. And and so I have this moment where I I have to decide, am I losing my mind or is this really finding my mind? And I realize Mm -hmm. that, you know, at the core, at the bottom, stripped down literally. Um, mm-hmm. we find who we really are. And so mm-hmm. eventually I get out of there and there's all kinds of trauma you know, involved and PTSD from that kind of thing. But the, mm-hmm. the, the deep light within that darkness was the realization of a deep connection from my soul to mythic imagination and how mm-hmm. imagination, in my case, in a story form, um is at the bottom. We're not empty at the bottom. It's not an endless abyss mm. down there. What's down there mm. is the ground of our being, on which we find the essence of our soul and the real mm. kind of generative generative source of our life. So mm. I know most people aren't having that kind of life experience, yes. and but it doesn't it, it doesn't require that. That's just what it required for me. And so I think people often, people often don't know that what's at the mm. bottom is who we are and what we are here to bring to life. And so mm. when I start falling under the pressure of the current world with the climate crisis and the political crisis yes. and the cultural crisis, I don't yes. fall into nothing. I don't fall into the abyss. I fall back to that ground. And then I gather myself while usually picking up a story that will help me go forward. I hope that's helpful. I know it's a little bit dramatic.
1: Beautiful. But. No, beautiful. Beautiful. I, I'm I'm you get me curious now in terms of you know, there's all these experiences, Michael, that happen in one's life. And uh I, I think I think also your story is triggering the question, but uh, I know you have a book called Destiny, Fate. Um And so, kind of inspired by your story, Fate and Destiny is your book, kind of inspired by your story, but also I'm kind of flashing on your book title, Fate and Destiny. Uh, How much of our life, well, firstly, uh, two questions in one. Fate and destiny, are they the same thing or different? And how much of our life do you feel, have you felt, would you say, uh, as human beings we are in control of you know there's the whole uh school of thought you create your reality you're 100 percent in control of everything and you know law of attraction and, and i'm curious from your experience and learnings and life reflection and exploration uh is life predestined is is our journey as souls in this human experience? Is it already is the story of one's life already written? You look at an Andela of the Mandela world, you look at uh, Andy, you look at you know Mother Teresa, is it already written? And are the things we're meant to go through already written? Can we how much of our lives have we can we change our script three uh, worlds? Destiny, free will, fate. Talk
2: to me a bit about that. Well, the title of the book comes from the sense that fate is what restricts us from the beginning of Uh life. Everyone, to be in this world is to have a fate. So that uh, for some people, the fate is that their family is poor and they can't get what they need and and that and that mm-hmm. is a limitation of some sort uh, at least for a while but for another person the fate is that their family is is very wealthy and they can't get what they need <laughs> you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. that uh, just because you have wealth doesn't mean that the children are awakening or the children are allowed to become themselves so the circumstances mm-hmm. of family Nowadays, we call it DNA. Some people are, you know, inclined to have a certain kind of illness. That's fate. And so everyone yes. has their, their kind of uh, weaving of fate um, because fate used to be called the three sisters of fate, which comes out of mythology. But anyway, everyone has limitation, but everyone has destiny. And so destiny is related to the word destination. And that's the idea that the soul is aimed at a destination. It's purposeful and aimed. The word destiny comes from the Latin destinare, of the stars. And so the idea is everyone is being pulled by a star. And so is it predetermined? No. Is it preset? Yes. There's a a story partly written inside trying to unfold. And it unfolds into a complex, living, spontaneous world. And so the un- unfolding is the place where we get to write and rewrite some of the story. But the fact that mm. the story is seated in us is really important because what's that old saying? All by myself, I have had the most wonderful ideas that aren't true. We can't trust ourselves. Mm. And I'm way more yes. interested... In the law of awakening than the law of attraction, you know, uh, right, right. I mean, the the people that, well, anyway, I would argue for there has to be a core of authenticity that is not of Mm -hmm. our choosing, but something that shows us to come into life and that we Mm -hmm. have to find that. And then we continually find ourselves at crossroads where we get to rewrite part of the script, especially the part that's traumatized or constantly repeating mm-hmm. a childhood wound, we rewrite that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's more important to be called than it is to make a choice in the long run. And so, yeah, the, yes. the idea that it's either predetermined or free will is a false dichotomy. It's both. Mm-hmm. It's both. It's both. It, can, it
1: always can, can you? Hasn't. Can you just? Can you just clarify for us real quickly, Michael? You said, I thought this was interesting. predetermined. He said, no, but
2: preset. Yeah. yes. What, what, yeah. like, what's the difference? <laughs> well, to me, the difference is there's a plot line, and uh-huh. so so um, that we're born into a plot. look at the family. Uh-huh. The family is the greatest plot anybody ever meets. And we're blown, mm. born into a family, the plot of which has been going for a long time before we arrive. And so, right. but we are, and so if, if that's all it was about, then we'd be, we'd be, we could be trapped by the family psychology. But inside mm. the dynamic of the family and the old saying in ancient Greece was family is fate. Family is the limit mm. into which we are born to, if we are human." and then hidden inside us is this plot line that is not determined by family Uh, it's something that came from the other world from the unseen world Um, so or here's a little story in ancient Italy um, they had this idea that when a child is born the goddess of fate takes a little uh, it's a little like a piece of wood that's chipped off from the roots of the tree of life Mm -hmm. and and Mm. and that becomes the the kind of fate and destiny of that child on one side it's blank and everybody the family writes on that blank side of the person's lot it's called the lot and from from that we get lottery and on one Mm -hmm. side the lot is blank and the family writes you know Oh, you know, we wanted uh, we wanted a boy and we got a girl. They write that on there or whatever they're writing. Mm. And we didn't want Mm. this child. We can't afford this child or whatever. Mm. And that's written Mm. on the blank side. And then the neighborhood writes on there and school writes on there and the society writes on there. And those things are real, but they're only on one side of the lot. On the other side of the lot was considered to be the divine word. And by word, they don't mean simply one word. They mean kind of the script, the script that is trying to unfold from this child Mm -hmm. who people Mm -hmm. outside think they know who that is. But inside the child is something mysterious and profound, which was called the destiny or the divine word. Mm. And so both things are happening. And so Mm. there's a pre-setting in terms of the divine word. People have a bit of divinity inside. How else could we think about and imagine divine things? And so it's that inner script or that it's that inner plot line I like to think that something mm. written inside the soul is going to unfold, but it's going to unfold in a unique way that has never happened at any other time in the history of the world. There are mm. many people that have the gift of playing music but when you hear pablo casals begin to play yes. you can you know that unique capacity that uniqueness is in everybody in in terms of the mm-hmm. lot in life it was called the divine word or i like to think of it as the plot line and every crossroads every challenge puts us at the intersection of fate and destiny the intersection of what limits us and what is our destiny that's much bigger than who we think we are, that's trying to live through us. So the mythological mm. idea is the divine world is trying to constantly enter this world, and it has no choice but to come in through the people that happen to be alive. And so yes. from, so we're here to try and shed some of the limitations of fate. We're mm-hmm. here, I think, to... Mm, unfold fold back or, or or break through the kind of scripts that we inherited and mm. we're here to uh follow something we only can see at times which is mm. uh, our our path of destiny that's mm. that's what i have learned mm. it's a challenge of course <sighs> beautiful. Right? It's beautiful it's beautiful
1: yeah i'm i'm i'm, I'm cu- gosh i'm i'm curious to hear now Um, you know, you talk about, and I often feel this in my life, you know, you talk about the divine destiny that is seeking to unfold and and, and it unfolds through us as humans, unfolds through, you know, us. And and yet as human beings, we tend to resist, wouldn't you say, Michael? I mean, we, we, we tend to like resist the unfolding at least that's what it seems, and as a result we suffer and we we suffer, we get depressed and and or we're afraid to truly allow the unfolding and and so why is that, and as human beings, what can we do? what can an individual do to Move beyond that resistance, uh, the denial. You know, to 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 open to the divine, to to be in cooperation, to to allow more and more of that just divinity to 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 move to unfold to us.
2: What 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 can we do? So um, it's a good, really good question, and I think that. First of all, the resistance is natural. So uh-huh. every okay. every attempt at growth activates mm. resistance. So so the mm. the presence of ex- of resistance is not a canceling idea. It's actually evidence that growth is trying to happen. So mm. um, I mean, I, for some reason, I got the image <clears throat> of of a of a plant that winds up in the city and it's is being called by the sun to grow and it has to work its way through the concrete. So yes, the resistance yes. is there and, and it mm. has to bend and it has to twist and it has to find the crack and then I come up through the crack. And so mm. for us, the concrete is the fixed ideas of who we are. And and, mm. and so one of the notions about that is received ideas. So for instance, my father, who had a third-grade education, and uh, and worked as a, a truck driver in Manhattan his his entire adult life, when he was working, when he had a job, and um, and he used to say to me every time I would, you know, get a good grade in school or or I would try something out, he would he would just simply say, "Who do you think you are?" And and that was like a. Uh, a rejection. It was like a slap at my inspiration. Um, But for the uh, person like me, it was also an intriguing question. (laughs) I would go, whoa, wait a minute. Who am I? And then I would think, well, you're my father. Don't you know who I am? And all of those things, you know, they come back every time I try something new. If I'm about to try something new, I can hear this voice going, you know, people call it the inner critic. In this case, it was coming directly mm-hmm. from my father. Who do you think you are? And then I have to solve, mm-hmm. who am I in this moment? I'm the person that's having this pain of growth that I think yes. I'm think i called to do something bigger, but I'm also feeling the pain from the past. And so, mm-hmm. so to be honest, everyone is gifted and aimed, and everyone is wounded. And so each, in other words, the gift and the wound go together. And, and you see this in uh, in uh, cult- popular cultural life. You see someone suddenly rise as a star, right? Whenever they say, oh, yes. that's a star, a rock star, a screen star, I go, yeah, destiny, yes. destinare of the stars. But they don't know what they're talking mm-hmm. about. But but it's, it's the person is being pulled by their star. Okay. Now they're in the light. Everybody's seeing how bright they are, how they shine like a star. And here comes the shadow, right? The The higher the person gets, Mm -hmm. the closer to the light, the greater the shadow gets. And so you see Mm -hmm. young actresses that suddenly fall apart. You see the, the, you know, the musicians that, that ride their talent to the top and then they fall into drugs or fall into depression. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, Mm -hmm. so with the gift, there is the wound that's the only honest way I know to talk about it. And so that means that when a person feels closer to the genuine giftedness of their deep self, they're also feeling whatever wounds are there. And they're all so that can be cause a great resistance. I don't want or here's another image. If the divine, which is uh, mm, limitless, is trying to come through us who are limited, that has to be painful. Mm. In other words, we have to <laughs> right. we have to open right. We have to open so much to let it come through. That that mm-hmm. is that's true. You know, as an artist, a person has a certain talent and gift. Usually, it's a mixture of talent. And so here comes the divine coming out as music, coming out mm. as poetry, coming out as architecture, whole buildings coming mm-hmm. through a person's imagination. That's got to be painful.
3: To, yes, allow, right.
2: <laughs> to yes. allow the actual size of the soul to manifest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. means mm-hmm. that we will suffer pain, and the pain is actually being suffered by the ego. And the right. ego, ego doesn't mean big, bombastic person. It That's does in the case of certain people who get elected. But ego means fixed attitudes. It doesn't mean big. Yes. Sometimes the person's ego is too small too small to let the divine move. And sometimes when it gets too big, it gets too, you know too enamored of itself to let the divine have space. And so we're always struggling with, I call it the little self and the great self. And uh, the little self is our fate issues and the great self is our call to a destiny that's greater than who we think we are on a typical day.
1: Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. This idea that divine is the one which is infinite is coming through us as human beings. Oh, so, you know, egos, which it, is it, limited, finite. Of course, there's going to be some pain. There's a, there's an expansion, and so it kind of makes sense that parts of us, or what we thought we were, or what we've created as ourselves, will have to expand and fall apart and we have to let go of things to allow for more space, right? For more room yeah. for the yeah, just... infinite unfolding to happen. And so uh that's a beautiful uh, explanation. Uh in terms of uh you took stories, Michael, I think you know the ego sometimes we create stories about ourselves, right? From traumatic experiences of things like I'm stupid, I'm fat, I'm ugly, I'm a failure, you know, I'm, I'm unworthy of love. And 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 so experience, events happen. We assign a certain interpretation and meaning to those events uh, becomes a sense fixed identity. And so for those listening in that may have a story about themselves, that is so limiting or or damaging or painful that causes them pain about themselves. And sometimes we know their stories. We know their stories. But regardless, let's say that that story about oneself is creating so much pain. And and how can someone listening uh, begin to actually shift the story is there a way what can they do to to change their story about themselves especially
2: if it seems kind of real well in in mythic terms i mean there's psychology which can be very helpful and and so a person can do therapy Uh, by the way the word therapy comes from the old greek therapist which which means interpreter of dreams And so Mm. there's all kinds of therapy, including interpreting one's dreams. And the dreams are also bigger than the person trying and trying to get in while we're sleeping. I mean, there is that going on. And so a person could consider various forms of therapy, but it, but in mythic Mm. terms, just, just to understand it or see it through the lens of imagination. Um, I think about curses and blessings. And so, uh, so my father's, Statement to me, really was closer to who the hell do you think you are? You know, mm-hmm. um, well, the answer eventually becomes, I think I am um, genuinely and repeatedly <laughs> trying to be my full self. That's who the hell I think I am, <laughs> uh, and, and 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 the commitment to that is is surprising. You know, it's surprising, <clears throat> and and um so you could say everyone carries from childhood something close to a curse like you were saying mm. some of them you're you're not worthy you know um and 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 if a person accepts that uh, certain things that I was told in childhood that really, you know, child can't protect themselves. They're vulnerable. They think they're going to get yes. loved when they get close to the the parents that they adore. And that opens the possibility of getting deeply wounded. And the old language for that was curse. So I would take things that were said to me that were deeply restricting and wounded, I, and I put them on pieces of wood and I put them above the writing desk. Because I know that every time I sat down to write, I have to fight my way through those things to get to the words that mm-hmm. are underneath that. And so mm-hmm. I think maybe the first step is, is, is getting into a kind of statement, what it is I'm, I'm struggling with. Uh, my mother mm-hmm. once in her kind of radical honesty that she could have at times <laughs> said to me, what makes you think you will want it? You know, it's kind of harsh, but it was really helpful because Mm. I knew I wasn't a wanted child. You know, there's an old idea that says the child uh, in infancy uh, recognizes the pathology of his parents. (laughs) Children feel what's wrong in the household. Yes. And so to have my mother say it out loud was like a confirmation of something I've been carrying all my life. And so mm-hmm. it caused me to lose my balance for a while because I had to come mm-hmm. to grips with the, the truth, the psychological truth that I wasn't a wanted child. You know, you hear those stories where mm-hmm. someone says, you know, I was the, what my mother wanted. I was what my parents wanted. I was a child. I was a loved child. Well, I was, a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a child in the way. So, so then, mm-hmm. then I had the issue at hand. So if I accept that I'm not wanted, I wasn't wanted, then why am I here? And then I realize I'm here because of what I want, not I, the little I. I'm here because something wants to live through me. That is yes. actually part of me that my parents didn't produce anyway. And you know, oh, so man. I'm gonna be clear. I eventually figured out how to forgive my mother because guess what, she wasn't a wanted child. So, so you know, mm. that I had to work my way through that part. But then I got down to the issue, if I wasn't wanted when I came into the world, I must be here because I wanted to be on this adventure of becoming myself. And uh, so wow. that's what I mean by, by curse and blessing.
3: Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And,
2: and then if I get close to who that inner me is, it has to be confirmed mm-hmm. by somebody outside me. Someone has to come along and say, I see who you are. I see the genius in mm-hmm. you. I see the courage in you. Whatever it's going to be, that has to happen. We need those who can bless us because we have already had those who can curse us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm not blaming, just saying.
3: Yes, yes, yes.
2: And, and so why do we,
1: why do we need those who can bless us, Michael, like, tell me about the the, the, the purpose of that, the, the intention of that. Cause we're, you know, we're often taught, you don't need anybody outside of yourself, you know, find your own truth within yourself. And so now you're saying, which I find very interesting, you need, and it, it there's something sacred I feel in what you're saying as a ritual, as a rite of passage. So <clears throat> why, what does that do? Wh- what What function does that serve? How do we not get into a sort of dependency on I need I, I need this person outside of me to outside of me to confirm or bless me and how do we even find someone do we like like imagine someone listening to this conversation saying do I just what where, where, where do, do I go up to the mountaintop do I go to Whole Foods and find someone to bless me who who do I find I don't have anyone to bless me Michael. come on right. yeah <laughs>
2: yeah I can see we could try Whole Foods. But uh, it costs it cost too much. So um, let's yes. see. No, but the mountaintop is, is, so that reminds me of a Mayan story. So there's a Mayan story of this child is born, um, and, and, and uh, uh, the mother doesn't see uh, what gifts the child brings into the world because she's busy with the labor. Mm-hmm. But there's a midwife there, and she sees that this child has brought gifts into, world, into the world. But then it's a little boy. And then he's mm-hmm. given the name Poder, which means power, luck. Uh, it also means destiny. And so, and then he lives in every, you know, he has a pretty good life. The parents feed him. They love him. He has his good mm-hmm. days, his bad days. And then he becomes a teenager and he begins to have mm-hmm. this question. Um, um, does the world have something to give to me? And do I have something to give to the world? That's, that's the question mm-hmm. he now has. And no one can answer it for him. So he goes Mm -hmm. to the midwife who is there at his birth because people consider her wise. And she knows what his gifts are. But she doesn't tell him. She just says, you're old enough now that the questions about life have entered you. So now you have to leave the family, leave the village and go out into the holy mountains, they call them in that area, the holy mountains, and find the answer to your two questions. Do you have something Mm. to give to the world? Does the world have something to give to you? So it turns out Mm. that in this story, this is the, you know, kind of imaginal way of dealing with it. The midwife had taken his gifts that he was born with, and she had given them to the people that live out in the mountains, who are the, the, you know, they would be like the shamans. They would be like the wise people. They would be like the initiators, and so he wanders out there. He runs out of food. He runs out of water. He's now lost in the mountains. And he comes upon these people and they ask him what, what's going on. And he said, I'm out here with my questions. I have these burning questions. Do I have something to give the wor- to the world? Does the world have something mm-hmm. to give to me? And they say, you've come to the right place. Sit down, have some food, rest. And then we will show you. And so what happens is he rests. He, you know, he feels okay being there. And then they bring out of a cave the gifts that he brought into life. And they, they give him his gifts back. And then they connect him to one of the elders or initiators who has similar gifts, who, who will show him how to live with those gifts. And so it's a more complicated story than that. But to me, what got me when I, when I heard about it was this moment where they give him back his gifts. They're his gifts, mm. but they're not his gifts. They're his gifts, mm. but they are a gift of the divine. They're his gifts, but mm. they're only his gifts once they're blessed. Blessed he learns how to carry them. So they are <laughs> his, but not in a simple way. And the, and the story just says we have to find those people who can say, I see what you have, I see what you carry, and confirm. Mm. Them. I remember having a friend who mm. was a remarkable you know, intuitive musician, you know, a pretty young, hand him a guitar, he's playing music already. And then you would say, man, you're amazing. he you know, cut it out, cut it out. And then one day, he found, he went, got close to someone he thought was a genius musician who was older than mm-hmm. him. And when he got mm-hmm. to play and that older musician said, hey, you're pretty good, the first time yes. in life, he could own those games. Yes we, need, we uh, can't yes. trust ourselves something outside mm. us has to say and that sets up mentoring and the idea mm. that there are people with similar gifts to ours who are on the mm. road ahead of us and if we mm. can catch up to them then they can show us how to work that particular path through life
1: amazing amazing, beautiful in terms of uh, well in terms of stories you mentioned something earlier. Um, clearly, the storytelling is, is is a gift of yours, and you said something that struck me earlier that I want to come back to, which was something like, um, "When you tell a story, you don't rehearse. You 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 just feel the moment. Each audience is different, and 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 it, you just allow the story to come from a place inside of you, and and so." It fascinated me because I'm a speaker, and you mentioned something else too about uh, some of those gifts revealed themselves between age and eight, age eight and eleven. Mm-hmm. Michael, when I when I was eight, I was thrown on, onto the stage of five thousand people by my father, who has uh, you know 300 churches. He threw me on the stage and said, "Speak," and that's when I remember, as an eight-year-old, for the first time, no preparation. On the stage, 5,000 people looking at me, you could say a soul initiation. Something started happening through me. Words started coming through me. I didn't understand. I don't even remember. It just began. And uh, whenever I speak, I, I really feel that sense of like something is just coming through me. And so I'm curious to to know where is that place that you allow what that the story comes from and how do you you know cultivate the depth of trust to throw away the crutches of you know notes and not going to prepare just going to just almost free fall and just be totally lived in this moment on stage with the audience which is a Exciting and and vulnerable thing, and and so how do you cultivate that level of trust? What what's your experience of that? How can those listening in find that place that the story is coming from within themselves as as an expression as well?
2: So, it's beautiful your story, by the way, and also dangerous, Mm -hmm. right, to the eight year old psyche to have that much energy Mm -hmm. coming through, and even more so that much energy coming back so that yes, may be another yes. discussion but i know that danger of that um mm-hmm. but so some of the some of the we've lost ideas in the modern culture we've lost some mm-hmm. of the imaginations that are really helpful so um somehow i learned this idea um from mythology that if if i'm speaking spontaneously um <coughs> then it's not me it's the muses mm-hmm. i have this image of the muses and, that, and it's from the muses that we get the word music. And, and, and so mm-hmm. it's like a music from the other world that is coming through. Again, the divine wants to enter the world. And it has to come through the vessels that we call ourselves. And so I learned it, you know, like stumbling into it. You know, like I study the myths of all cultures and, you know, I spend a lot of time at it because I love the stories. And I have this great idea. I'm going to tell this story, you know, to this audience, you know, yes. wherever. Mm-hmm. And I'm on my way to the stage. And as my foot hits the stairs of the stage, a different story comes into my mind. And, oh, and the first so right? And the first time it happened, it like buckled my knees. I had this great plan. I had worked it out. I had mm-hmm. notes. I had a, you know, I had, I was in control and now the music said, no, you have to tell this story. Cause I, because if I don't tell the story that comes in, I'm actually not feeling good for about two weeks. <laughs> so, so I just, and then eventually, so I began to, to pay attention. And it's very similar to what you were saying that you put on stage. And so, you yes. know, if you think of Shakespeare, who says all the world is but a stage and we are the players upon it. And so a person has to figure out which stage they're on and why. And then you start to realize that it's not me. It's something trying to come through me. And that something is greater than I am and probably wiser. And that the best part of me is when I become in service of that. And so for me, each storytelling event is trying to find the ground on which I can stand where the audience and I both can be kind of tuned into the unseen or tuned into the imaginal or if you want to go all the way to the divine. Yeah. So yeah. And each time is a little bit different. And mm-hmm. and you had said earlier in the conversation Uh, I love the word authenticity or authentic it's a Greek word authenticos and everything in life is potentially authentic Hmm. the problem and problem now is we're living in the time of performative uh, inauthenticity Hmm. you know performative in the sense of all the politics is performative outrage performative insistence the authentic is when you let the script go the personal script and the social script and and then something that wants to be present enters and that's always been the job or of and the work of the artist that the moment is the creative moment in which the limitations mm-hmm. and maybe the gifts that I have coincide mm-hmm. with some kind of longing in the audience, which together mm-hmm. brings in the inauthentic, I mean the authentic, and something that was needed but not expected. And and when that happened then I think everyone actually is is somewhat blessed. And so mm-hmm. that's worth suffering for.
3: Yes.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Wow, my heart is uh, is filled and rich right now, Michael. A um, couple final questions, and uh, just loving this conversation. Um, as we look at the world today and what's happening, um, a lot is happening right now. I mean, I live in I live in the U.S., and uh, you know, it's an interesting time. Uh, interesting president interesting times interesting political climate uh not to make it a you know a political conversation necessarily but um you know a lot of people are, are going through a lot of emotions and feelings about what is happening right now politically and so is there anything you have to say to especially for those that are really challenged you know with 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 what is going on uh in America at this moment uh Anything you can say to help us understand the story of what is happening right now? What the hell is going on? Yeah, yeah when I turn on the news, it seems it seems like a reality show. Every moment, it's like, wow, yeah. is this really? What, what is? What is that? What is? What the hell is going on? <laughs> and so, how do yeah. we help us make sense of this? You know, is there a story? Like, like what is happening? Tell. I
2: mean, what's yeah. your thoughts? well i can try to summarize the story there are stories mythology is amazing because the mm. myths myths are like lies that tell the truth a series of lies that tell yes. the truth. myths are about the mm. underlying truths so reality cannot mm. outpace myth and so mm. when i get to that overwhelmed point i go back to myth and i'll come around to a myth but on the so the what happens politically is also psychological and I think there's a psychological challenge to the American culture. You know, American culture in terms of the history of the world is kind of adolescent and, and, and the challenge is, can, can it, can things become meaningful and authentic? And then I would just say that sometimes, sometimes the collective psyche elevates a person who represents the kind of um, psychological dysfunctions in the collective psyche. Sometimes we elect those things that we have to see clearly in order to change and transform and outgrow. Mm. All of the inauthenticity, all of the false rhetoric, all of the brutality, all of the lack of compassion is like putting the shadow on top so we can see it. Something like that so so I think there's a a, a cultural uh, demand or requirement to become more psychological. One of the core psychological ideas is the bigger the front, the bigger the back. when someone says that they 're more powerful than others, you see their shadow in what they just said. When someone said they 're the only one that can solve it, you see a weakness that would claim that, and so people need to see behind what's being presented and become more psychologically aware. That's one level of it. Then there's this other thing going on, which um, I call the slow apocalypse. And so apocalypse has come to mean the fiery sudden end of the world, but that's not what the word means. It's another Greek word, apocalypsis. And it means collapse renewal. It means that as things collapse, a renewal process is secretly underway. And we happen to live in this apocalypsis. And so that the institutions that are supposed to protect us are not adequate to the situation. And they're actually, and I'm talking about the Congress and I'm talking about the impeachment process and I'm talking about, Mm. uh, you know, all of even the educational institutions, they they're kind of hollow. Mm. And so people Mm. have to fall back On everything we were talking about previously, no one's going to come Mm -hmm. and save us. We have to find the authentic life that is our life to live. And I and I so I wrote that book, Why the World Doesn't End. And it's really myths from around the world uh, about how life collapses and renews the way a forest. In the forest, the great big trees fall down and die, and then from the collapsing bodies of those once grand trees, the rest of the forest grows. And it's not simple, and it's bound to be painful. But mythologically, we're going through a transformation of the world. And I would say also psychologically and mythologically, we're going through a collective initiation. There is no cultural initiation for young people and And some of the people who are in charge look like grown-ups, but they're not. They're not psychologically grown. They're not imaginatively grown. You know, they even lack some of the qualities that you expect from humanity. So it's not up to them. It's up to us. And I'm not saying that it's not confusing and it's not painful and it's not deeply discouraging. But everything we've talked about, if you follow those paths, downward, you eventually find the ground of imagination, the ground of the soul. And I love your use of the word soul, because to me, soul is the connective energy of life. And and Mm. someone asked me once, well, what is the one thing you would say is missing in the world? And I'd say soul. We've lost Mm. the understanding of how interconnected life is. There's a struggle now for humanity to reconnect with nature. The idea that culture mm-hmm. and nature are opposites is a very bad 300-year-old European idea. <laughs> you know, culture and nature are the two garments of the world. And and nature is a green garment, the living green garments mm-hmm. of the world. And culture is the multi-col- multicolored, diverse garment of imagination. And we have to... <laughs> I don't know why we're the ones who are here now in this collapse process that has a hidden renewal element. We have to weave nature and culture back together, and we have to trust our inner gifts. And so the gene, when I wrote, wrote the book, The Genius myth, I was trying to say something like, the hero's myth is a great story, but that's not going to get us where we have to go, because heroics have partly got us in the trouble we have. And Mm -hmm. hero tends to be muscular, outward bound, and awfully awfully masculine. And Mm -hmm. and genius simply means the spirit that's there when you're born. And the idea is that everybody has it. You don't have to be a hero. You just have to be Mm -hmm. uh, a believable version of yourself. And so whether it's a girl or a boy or someone exploring the arc between those two ideas... Whoever it is, they have their unique genius. And so someone said to me once, "Okay, so you wrote a book called Why the World Doesn't End, but what if it does end?" And I said, "Well, if it ends, there's no one around to say I was wrong. If it doesn't end, if it doesn't end, I look pretty good. So I'm going to it." The world won't end and and and, <laughs> uh, and even if it does, I want to be trying to be a better version of myself, mm-hmm. whether the world is ending or continuing. What else is there for yeah. us to do, and all that mm-hmm. inauthenticity that's all around and it's just really troubling young people, um, mm-hmm. all that in you know inauthentic behavior can only be canceled by us being authentic. Yes.
3: Yeah.
1: I feel, I feel you actually hearing you, you know, as we're going through this collective initiation and kind of be, I feel like we're being called forward Michael, as, as you're sharing and speaking. I feel like we are all being kind of called forward by life, you know, and, uh, it's powerful. Uh, one more question. Um, you have shared so much today and just so generously, so just much appreciation. And, you know, some of this might overlap, but if we were just to distill the conversation in a, in, a, in, a, in a moment and if there were, let's say, three, maybe hard to whittle down to three, but if there were three key life lessons that you feel, okay, these are the most important things that I have learned in my lifetime. And uh, at least just coming through in this moment, that you feel like if you could only pass these three nuggets of wisdom to your children and your grandchildren, next generation, I would love to hear like what would the three Michael Mead wisdoms be <laughs> that you could that would evolve the
2: next generation the most? Mm. Wow, that's that's challenging to for someone with uh, Irish storytelling background to. Whittle down to <laughs> three of anything. But three is the <laughs> mythical number. So so uh, uh, so the first the first one, I guess, is this idea that we've been talking about that everyone who enters this world is gifted and aimed. And if we're in this world then we're each somehow gifted and we're each aimed at something. And that's and that's a ground level, you know, sense that we have to struggle with but that we can also count on then Mm -hmm. i guess the second thing is is um whatever our gifts turn out to be um it's it's really important to realize that the gifts of the soul are not diminished when we give them our giving of those gifts actually makes them bigger and so that Mm. that by there i'm saying let's struggle to be bigger in this meaningful way um that that when times are as dark and troubling as they are now it's really imperative that we learn how to give our gifts more and then the third one could go any number of ways but i think where i would have to go the third one is that um we i don't want to leave this world saying I did not learn enough how to love that would be my third one mm. Th- that
0: mm. and, and, and
2: by love I mean love what I'm doing love the struggle love those people I found I find to be most beautiful love myself in ways that I never even imagined were possible when I was a child yes. uh, and and love the beauty of nature and the resonance uh, of the streams and the you know, brilliance of the moon rising, and all of that—that that, um, it's a sad thing to leave the world, not having felt the love that continues making the world, and not having tried at least mm-hmm. to be a lover mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, folks, you heard it—three key wisdoms from Michael Mead, powerful. Ah. Uh, Wow, just digesting, Michael. Just this, just digesting the. Uh, I don't know. Just it feels like a. Just talking to you has been like a, a, a this, this this rich feast, you know. And uh, I feel like I'm sitting after uh, just a rich, hearty, wholesome meal, you know. That afterglow and just sitting back and just taking it in. So wow, thank you so much. If there's a homework assignment, uh, as we wrap up, just a simple, could be one thing that maybe the listeners could do, uh, just to implement, uh, make practical what you've been saying, might take a few seconds, if you could assign a a homework to a practice or something simple that everyone can do right now, very quickly to embody, to to apply what you've been saying. Is is there one homework you could give, give to people?
2: Um, I still have uh, school day resentments to homework, but um, <laughs> the, what comes to mind is it's really important to have friends of the soul. That was an old mm. idea that, that you can have a lot of friends on Facebook and be extremely lonely. Uh, friends of the yes. soul, you only need a few of those, and you feel like you're well-companioned. And so I would say to try to find some, someone who at least, qualify somehow for a friend of the soul and Mm -hmm. ask them what they see um, are the gifts in you. In other words, I'm Mm -hmm. wanting people to move the conversation to let's get language on the gifts and let's get them confirmed so we Mm. can get back to the work of, of, giving them into the world. So one way to do it is mm. to find, is to go to someone who seems like a genuine friend, um, and ask, have a conversation with, it could be mutual. What do you see as my gifts? Cause here's what I see in you. And, uh, and get the, the sense of giftedness into consciousness. Mm. But Folks, you heard it, the
1: homework assignment, friends of the soul. Uh, I would love you all to, uh, Implement that to practice that, and send me an email, folks. Coop Blackson at coopblackson.com. I would love to hear your takeaways from this amazing interview, and uh, just just how this assignment, uh, the friends of the soul, the mutual gifting and feedback is 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 moving in you, touching you. Michael, I I really just again thank you so much. I have loved, I mean underscored, underlined, highlight, love. Just being with you and feeling you. I mean for me it's just I feel the transmission of your heart, you know, coming through. Uh you've you've been a gift to I know everyone listening in. Definitely a gift to me today. And so you've gifted me. So thank you so much. And what's the best way people can find out about you and your work? Just is the what's the best website?
2: Um, I wanna thank you as well. This conversation is a gift. It's beautiful to be in conversation with you. So thank you. Uh website is um, Mosaic Voices, all one word, MosaicVoices.org, or you can Google Michael Mead, or you can Google Michael Mead Living Myth. Living Myth is the podcast that I do, um, a mythic mm-hmm. version or a mythic lens turned on to the world, both the world of nature and the world of culture. So MosaicVoices.org or Living Myth or... Michael need nowadays. You can find them all by going to Google. Awesome. Who knows where awesome. we all are?
1: Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Michael. Folks, mosaicroices.org. And we will also uh, put all of the Michael's links in the show notes. So just uh, highly encourage you to go to his website, check out what he has going, his projects, podcasts, events, resources. Um, he's a, a, a fount and a wealth of, of just Gifts and resources and inspiration, and so uh, make sure you also check out his books. I'm sure they're available on Amazon and and bookstores. And uh, yeah, definitely, folks, listen to this podcast again. Take some great notes. Send me the. I want. I want to hear from you all, folks. Send me the email. I like, I would love to hear how this uh, episode has been, maybe stirring something new, inspiring your heart, your soul in some way. You download it, share it with your friends on social media. And I will connect with you all in the next episode of Soul Talk. Much love, everyone.